The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. You know, everybody these days, especially over the summer, it's really hard to stay inspired. And you're thinking, what, Diane, you're not inspired? You're talking to all these inspirational people all the time. No, the truth is out. (laughs) I struggle just like everyone else to keep things going. So when my good friend Jane suggested I talk with my guest today, Sarah Bamford Seidelman, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to check this out because I need some help. And Sarah is a woman of medicine, a shamanic mentor, and an author. And she's written several books that I want to catch up on, but I've been spending some time with her latest project. And it's a book and a card deck, How Good Are You Willing to Let It Get? So that caught my attention. I'm thinking, okay, well, I want this to get really good. So I think (laughs) I need to talk to Sarah. And it also comes with this amazing deck of cards some feel-good cards. We're going to talk about this too, but I'm so happy that Sarah could spend some time with me. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Diane. Super excited to be here. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you could spend some time with us and and chat with the Unity crowd and whoever else happens to grab this podcast out there in the world. You never know. Yeah. And we could all use a little inspiration, I think, right now. That's for sure. I mean, it's uh, it's been a tough you know, year and a half, two years of slogging through this pandemic and all this other stuff that we're going through. So yeah, we definitely need some inspiration. So I think your story is so interesting. I want to get to know you a little bit and find out about your background. And I was reading over in the book that you spent a lot of years training and working as a physician, like a real doctor in the real world. And, And then in your early 40s, you made a radical shift And you came out the other side as a shamanic healer, life coach, and creative writer. And I love to find out about people's transformations and how they they got where they where they are, you know, and some of the things that that led them in that direction. So I just wanted to hear a little bit about that major shift. Yeah. Well, some people, you know, their their transformation is like a cataclysmic event happens, you know, they get in an accident or their house burns to the ground. In my case, it was more of this 
kind of slowly everything started falling apart. And I found myself less engaged at work. And I was uh, basically as a, I was a board certified pathologist. So I'm one of the doctors that if you have like a biopsy taken, or if you had something removed in surgery, I was the one who'd be looking at it under the microscope. So I was sort of a paid disease hunter. That's what I did. And slowly over time, I started getting less interested in what, you know, what makes people sick then. And I started getting more curious about like, what makes people well? And the problem with this was that when you, you know, I couldn't really afford to be uninterested and passionate about what I was doing. I mean, I feared that would be dangerous uh, to my patients and things like that. And so I, what I did was I took, well, first I hired a life coach that changed, you know, I was, I was horrified to do such a thing. I mean, back in Minnesota, you know, and being a good Midwesterner, I mean, like we're supposed to have our Norwegian lives figured out for us, <laughs> but I did. And it helped me so much. And eventually I was able to take a little sabbatical from work. And during that sabbatical, and I'm sure as many other people's transformative stories will tell you, like I suddenly found myself revisiting all these things from nature or excuse me, from childhood that I loved, like hanging out with wild animals. So I started um, just walking on the trails a lot and having these magical experiences because for the first time in my life, you know, in a lot, well, not in my life, but for probably 20 years, I had some actual free time and <laughs> it was amazing. And I stumbled into this ancient idea that wild animals, the wild animals that cross your path might have messages for us, you know, and I thought, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of, you know, being a a science-based, you know, physician training in that world. Um, it didn't make any sense, but at the time I was also feeling deeply confused and frightened. I was sort of in that, the dark woods of the heroic journey, you know, the hero's journey transformation. And I was like, I don't know what the hell is going on. And if an animal can help me, that's, I'm good with that. Like anybody, you can throw me a bone here. And, um, yeah, I stumbled into this taxidermied walrus in our downtown one day, <laughs> it's going to sound really strange, but the, the walrus didn't really speak to me, but I began to be curious about walruses. And as I studied them, I realized, well, if anybody will go, go watch, I encourage you to watch walrus videos at YouTube. It is a very stimulating experience. You know, they, they tend to be very relaxed beasties. They're just like surrender to the sand kind of, you know, not concerned at all what anybody thinks of them. They're not in, stuck in their heads. They're not certainly not worried about like lack or, you know, which is where I was at. I was like, oh, my God, if I quit my job, how are we going to put the kids through college kind of thing? Or how are we going to pay our mortgage? And this walrus, I sort of studied them. And I, what I learned about them is they are also apex predators, meaning they have no competition really in the, meta, in, the in the natural world. Occasionally, polar bears will tangle with them, but it's unusual. So I kind of put those things together. I'm like, okay, if I could just relax and like manage to be comfortable, not worrying what anybody thinks about me and sort of be myself utterly like these walruses are being, maybe I too would have no competition. Should I pick a new vocation like writing? Yeah. That's so interesting. I love that because so many people are in this position right now. I'm reading all these articles of people that have had to step back from what they were doing over the pandemic year. And then the thought of going back to what they were doing is horrifying. And so you're in that space of, okay, I can't, things are never going to be the same. I don't want to go back to what my life was like. What can I do? And, and can I give myself permission to explore that and, yeah. and take those steps? And I think it's funny. How the heck did you find a, a stuffed walrus? I, I mean, isn't that a big, a big thing? 
I know it's kind of, I've never seen one since, but apparently somebody in Duluth, Minnesota must have purchased a taxidermied walrus. In fact, <laughs> I called the shop owner because I was so taken with this creature. And he said he had purchased it and never wanted to get rid of it because it was very sacred and important to him. Um, I think it was for sale, but it meant a lot to him, as I guess what I should say. It meant a lot to him. And so we had a kind of a neat conversation about it. But yeah, if you're in that spot that Diane's talking about, like ask for an animal to show up, a wild animal to to throw you a bone too, because it's not just for me, it's for everyone. Right. I mean, I feel we can learn so much from animals. I have two cats and I look at them all the time, sleeping 12 to 14 hours a day. And the same thing, it's such a great lesson in mindfulness. Like they're not worried about yesterday or what's happening, maybe later when they're going to get food, but it's pretty much what's going on in the moment. Yeah. So it is a good lesson from the animal world to, to kind of take a step back. Mm -hmm. So I was curious also with your focus on healers, artists, and writers and creative types and you're so creative. I mean, we're going to talk about your cards in a little bit. And the artwork is just so amazing. And I guess you're able to excavate that side of you as well as the, the scientific medical side. But what is it about, you know, specifically these kinds of people doing these things that drew your attention? Yeah. Well, as I was saying earlier, I was this disease hunter and I got this sudden taken with, taken with like, how do we create health? Like what creates health? I mean, why haven't they taught us that? Like, what is this deal? And what I kind of learned uh, after years and years of exploring the shamanic path, spirit, most people, how we get well or how we grow the health inside of us, our vitality is like, singing, dancing, telling stories, spending time in silence, but a lot of it has to do with self-expression, you know, and when we can express ourselves in particular, that I believe helps us to cultivate a strong mental health, strong mental health. You know, I think we're here to express ourselves creatively. It doesn't mean you have to do it out on Instagram, but like, do you sing in the shower? Do you, you know, take time to like paint if that's what, whatever you're drawn to, to let yourself have at least some time every day to be creative. It's important. Um, so important. And also these group of people who I think are these creative healers, helpers, sensitive, empathic people. I discovered a lot of them are the ones who end up diagnosed with bipolar, depression, ADHD. Myself, that's what my diagnosis was, ADHD, um, autism spectrum. You know, a lot of us have been sort of categorically said, you don't fit in, you're not working, you know, you don't work for the rest of society and like sort of diagnosed us and set us aside, um, saying something was wrong with us. But I'm really quite convinced there's something absolutely right with us. And if, and if our, if we can circle the wagons around these people that we've tried to kind of oust, <laughs> they are the people that can bring us this beauty and this creativity that we desperately need, you know, as a, as a community and as a, as a universe, as a world, an earth. Right, right. Like we're kind of squashing that out of people a lot of times, I think, not giving them permission. Yes. And the space. I mean, gosh, we need space. And at the rate we're going, you know, at this feverish pace of, of society, you know, like there's no time to be alone um, or there's no time just to wander. And that's often criticized. Like, you know, people are supposed to know exactly their purpose and meaning at 24 hours a day. And it's like, well, sometimes... The greatest meaning is, yeah, and just being with yourself, stumbling around on a, a wooded trail, for example. Right. And things change, right? I mean, like you started out on a certain path and then, you know, twists and turns happen, life happens, and you're not going to be just on that straight and narrow forever. 
And, and I love that you brought up working with a life coach, because I think a lot of times people will roll their eyes like, oh, you know, that's not a real thing. And I think it makes perfect sense to have a coach in life, you know, and to have someone in your corner like, hey, come on, you know, you can do this or just someone to bounce things off of that's not a family member. So I think it's great that you found a lot of value in that so much so that you wanted to do that yourself and, and help people in that way. It was huge for me. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had nobody I could talk to about what precisely was happening to me at work. And my husband didn't understand. I mean, nobody really understood what I was going through. And this person just listened to me and she was amazing. She's at, she's Michelle. Her name is Michelle. She's at mylifecoach.com. Like no kidding. The, I, the hilarious, I mean, I still, <laughs> I, I made a joke about that in my books because I just think, what, I mean, I don't know that I, how I trusted to go to mylifecoach.com and just trusted that I did. And yeah, we need places to go where we have a neutral party who can just hear us out and then maybe be a guide for us. Right. So when you brought up the idea of, hey, I'm interested in shamanism, you know, she wasn't, ah, ha, ha, you know, this is hilarious. Don't do it. You're crazy. You're ruining your career. So someone that would actually give you permission to say, hey, it's okay to, to look at that. Yeah, where it actually started for me long before I met the walrus is this is what she gave me permission to do. I had this funky desire to glue things on like old, old tiny images on the things. The old ancient art of decoupage. For those of you who are listening and are familiar, maybe you've done it with some of that, you know, white glue stuff. I was way into this. and I didn't know what or why. And, and she was like, just do whatever feels good. And I was like, how can I, how can you trust this? Like it was the absolute opposite. What I've been hearing my whole life, which was not do what feels good. It was like, do the right, you know, do something that will get you farther in life or do this thing so you can get a good grade so that you can jump through this fiery hoop. And one day maybe you'll be happy. And she was like, no, if, if that makes you happy, like make space for decoupage. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. <laughs> and that's really how I started reconnecting with the animals and their beauty and their their power and their innocence. And they're just, you know, I think that's why we're all so obsessed when we see a beautiful wild animal, it stops you in your tracks because they're absolutely present and they're, they're just being themselves, which is all most of us are dying to be, but we're terrified, you know? Right. And is that when Alice the elephant made her appearance? She came along a little bit later, the first beastie. Um, for those of you who are listening, if, you, if you're wondering who your spirit animal might be, I highly recommend going and hunting for one. And I, I can, if you go to my website, you can get access by subscribing to a, a guided journey where I can help you go and seek out a spirit animal. But the first one that presented to me was this mother bear. She took me by the side, by the hand and just sort of rubbed my back and was like, girl, like where you're going, you're, it's, it's just like a downhill. She showed me the bottom of this hill. Like we were just going to be traveling downward. So that sounded good. It wasn't like an uphill cliff to a mountain or something. And she said, you know, it's just enjoy the journey. It's, it's, you know, it's going to be okay, which is sounds like a bunch of platitudes, but all I can say is that day I felt enormous relief and I felt a lot of love and understanding from her. And I just kept returning to visit her, even though at the time I doubted, I was like, what am I doing visiting a spirit bear? I mean, this is nuts. Like I could be going crazy right now, but I kind of don't care because this is so delightful and she's so wonderful that I don't know, I'm going with it. <laughs> right. That's, I think that's great advice, you know, just kind of follow it and see what happens. But then you made a particular connection with this elephant. Yeah. And so she's kind of your muse. Mm -hmm. in uh in the book in the card deck 
Yeah. So as time wore on, I was like, I was supposed to go back to work. My six month sabbatical had run out and I started getting scared. Like maybe I should just go back. You know, the doubts started coming. And right around that time, Alice showed up this wonderful pachyderm. And she was just like, she was kind of like, girl, where you're going, you don't need those, like those, those uh, degrees and that board certification. She sort of took them and unceremoniously threw them in this river and was like, you don't need those where you're going and it's going to be great and just be yourself. And like, she really encouraged me to start sharing my eccentricity and kind of this affection I had for the spirits. And, um, and yeah, so a couple of years ago, so for years, she's been my wonderful companion. And a couple of years ago, I ended up doing this little project, a hundred day project. And if you're interested in those go to a hundred day project.org. It's a wonderful, like you can learn all about them, but I got, a, I asked Alice if this was okay. And we, I received one message a day for her that could help other people and paired it with some art. And that's where the deck in the book eventually came out of that project. And it was a lot of fun for me because I got to learn more good stuff. And uh, Alice is pretty happy about it too. <laughs> what a fun project. I mean, the book is amazing. You can just go through every single day and get a little bit of inspiration and I love the cards. I've been playing with these like all weekend before I knew that we were going to talk. And they're set up in, in a way where you have, you know, kind of a lesson and then a little bit of a message from Alice and then a little prayer. And, and I like that. I like that you kind of threw in a little prayer there too, to kind of connect you with the, whatever source that you understand to be, Yeah, yeah. you know, it, it could really be what, you know, whatever. But the other thing I thought was funny is that uh, I love that the message can the messages contained what is called quote salty language, <laughs> and I'm a big fan of salty language. Uh, you know, dropping f bombs here and there. I've actually gotten in trouble for this. I'd have to tell you that story another time. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if you received any pushback from from that, or do most people love it and, and relate to it? I think I found that most of my people love it. Um, with my one of my first books I wrote that contains salty language is called Born to Freak, a salty primer for irrepressible humans. And in that I really had to wrestle before I released it. And I remember visiting Alice saying, oh, my gosh, like, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt any of these feelings or make them feel yucky by swearing in this book. And she's like, she just kept reassuring me. It's the spirit in which it is said. And it's like, what I've kind of come down is sometimes those salty words can be the most sacred words uttered ever. Um, and we all have different approaches to that. So, um, but I did want to have a warning that nobody would buy the cards and then be upset, you know, that they'd understand that there was, they were buying a deck that had some salt in it. Right, right. A little bit of spice and it's not, you know, over the top by no. any means, at least I don't, I don't think so. But I guess if someone was buying it for their grandmother or something right. that was, you know, very buttoned <laughs> up, she might be a little shocked, but it's funny because we're talking about salty and and I, I picked one because I wanted to talk about it today, like just a card at random before I knew we were going to speak. So mine was share your medicine and it says, do what you're effing amazing at. Give us what you got. Uh, name one of your superpowers and find a way to use it today. Mm -hmm. And I thought I mm -hmm. thought that was great because I've been just kind of doubting myself that I'm good at, I'm trying to like launch a project and do like things that are definitely out of my comfort zone. And so it was a nice little reminder that, you know, Hey, you know, people, people want to hear what you've got and, and it's okay to express yourself like that. Absolutely. Well, and I think of you on radio because you, I mean, you have this skill, like you can hop on with anybody and you've got, you know, know how to interview and do, just because of you, you probably have 10,000 hours in this biz, you know? <laughs> 
Um, it's a lot now that I think about it, but you know, what? some, some go better than others, right? I mean, some, some things have tanked. Sure. Of That's course. okay too. And I'm always reminded like, um, you know, the hero's journey, which I love kind of using that as a context. It's like failure is guaranteed 150 billion percent. I mean, if you're going to do anything worth doing, you will fail and fail and fail. But then if you keep failing and keep getting back up, something will happen. <laughs> and you'll end up eventually. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And I think if we go in it accepting there will be failure, it's a lot easier. Nobody wants that. And it's not fun, especially if it's really it feels public or it feels. Um, but that's that humility, right? Like it's not it's like getting out of the way so the medicine can come through us, which I really feel that that's our job is like not to get too trapped up in the, how does this look? And am I doing this? So I look good. <laughs> it's like, right. We all look good, but yeah, we do. It's like that Saturday night live character, you know, that's not how you, not how you feel, you know, you look marvelous <laughs> yeah. as long as you, as long as you look marvelous, it's okay. Oh, Everything yeah. else could be crumbling, you know, but do yeah. you think sometimes that we're tested by that? Like, Hey, the universe is saying, look, this isn't going to be easy. No one promised you the ease, you know, the Perfect. golden path opening up to you that, hey, something's going to be tough and worth it. Yeah. I mean, I think the those are those initiation moments where the spirits or however you want to think about it. The universe is kind of like, you said this is what you wanted. Like, I remember this teacher years ago, a spirit teacher said, he said, oh, in the middle of the night in the summer, he said, all I ever wanted to be was a helper. And the next thing I know, I'm running through the jungle screaming like a crazy person. Bring me my mom. Bring me home to my mom. Like, I can't get me out of here. This is nightmare, you know, because his his spiritual teacher was putting him through the paces. Like, and it was not fun. <laughs> and then he would calm down enough and they'd put give him some juice and he would calm down. <laughs> and then they'd say, now we have to keep going. And he'd be like, no. But like, you know, sometimes to get to where we want to be, to become the person we want to be, we have to see, we have to face some difficult things. Right. And change can sometimes be painful. And I think I've noticed that that's one thing as humans that we definitely don't like is change oh. or transit. I mean, most of us, some people, I, I can maybe think of one of two, one or two that actually thrive with that, you know, like, oh, let's change it up. But most of us are like, let's stay in our little lane and yes. chug along and let's not change anything. And, and nothing. I, I have a friend that I, I would, you know, make fun of her about hating change. She goes, well, I'm changing my my living room. I'm painting it another color. And she painted it like the same color, but just <laughs> only a slightly different shade. I go, this is not change. But that was what she was comfortable with, you know, just yeah. to change it ever so slightly. But we don't like that, do we? No, because it's just too unpredictable. We want to control the outcome. We want to have like a guaranteed stamp like this. What I'm going to do right now is going to lead to better things. And that's that's just nothing is guaranteed. Right. Um, but if we don't listen to that inner voice inside of us that's calling us to do something, we're going to miss out for sure. And and with these cards, which are, are so cool, and there's a cute little picture of Alice on here and the artwork. So you did all of the uh, the decoupage, like putting this all together. That must have been so fun. So I did. Yeah, I pulled the images together and the color palettes and things like that. But of course, I had a designer, you know, help me do the graphic designer to help. But And all these images are public domain. So these are vintage, like lithographs. And I just think there's so much amazing artwork that, you know, is old. So I, I loved using it. Um, and I was going to pull, I pulled a card for us too today, which I thought would be fun. And on the, 
on the front of this image, I know we're on radio, but it's this very serious lion who's looking very disconcerted in this beautiful illustration. And the card says, lighten up. And the message from Alice, my elephant, is permit yourself occasional lionish bouts of moodiness, but never lose track of your precious inner jackass. Is there some way you're taking yourself too seriously? Dear God, connect me to my sense of humor so I can take myself a little less seriously. I feel like this is a message that comes up for me over and over again, because, you know, I want to be taken as this serious person or I want, you know, I want to be respected, but it's like, it's just like everything gets so heavy when I'm just like, I, and every, and when we think the stakes are so high for a creative project or whatever, it just, I always feel like the message from spirit is lighten like, up. lighten up, Francis. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one for me too. I need to lighten up because, you know, you get so hard on yourself. We're our own worst critic. Yes. You, know, you would never talk to another person as you do yourself. I'm sure you've heard that. Like we, yes. we beat ourselves up constantly. So it's nice to get those reminders. And I love the vintage artwork. Like, I don't know if you are a big fan of this, but I love to look at, like, if I go into a junk shop or something and they have old photos, Yeah, I love those. Like the old black and whites from like the 1920s or even older. Yeah. And I just wonder like, who is this person? <laughs> you know, I What was know. going on that day? Why do they have that look on their face? <laughs> um, but I, I like that vintage, you know, that vintage look. And, and these have such a great look and feel to them. I think people are really going to love these. And, and the little prayers too. I mean, is prayer a big, um, is it something that you use a lot? Is that a, a part of your life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, for years, I, I never knew what prayer was. I was like, I don't really know how to pray. I mean, I grew up in a church, you know, where you would go and read the Lord's Prayer or whatever in Christianity anyway. Um, but as I sort of drifted away from that, just because I never felt a deep connection, um, I actually... I actually spoke with my mom. I threw a spirit connection. The spirits were like, ask your mom to teach you how to pray. She'll show you. I was like, okay. So I asked my mom and she sat me down and she showed me her, she prayed every morning. Um, and she showed me kind of her method was just to sit and talk with God as if God was her good friend, you know, just somebody who, you know, wasn't judgmental, was just there to, to share your deepest woes and concerns with. Um, but I kind of think anything where you're connecting with spirits, so whether you're alone with yourself, hiking, you're painting, you're writing, you're singing, you're belting out like, you know, Lizzo's song in the shower. To me, that's praying. I mean, praying is like connecting with something higher, letting it out, like letting your heart soar or letting, you know, offloading what you're worried about and scared about. And so that you can sort of surrender that to something greater than you. You know, that's been a really helpful thing for me especially with all the work I do with um, people. I mean, I would get so scared. Oh my gosh, like my first retreat or teaching my first class. I was like, who am I to do this work? And I found that the more I could just get out of the way, prepare, and then call upon the spirits and pray, please help me do this. Please help me not mess this up or do it. I, let me be your pawn in your, in your program. I, I don't care. Like if, if part of this is I'm just to look like a jackass, that's okay too. Just like show me which way to go here. It's been so cool to talk with you. And I really appreciate you sharing this time and, and your book and cards and all the cool things you're working on. So if people would like to touch base with you or or maybe even 
talk with you on a deeper level, can they go to followyourfeelgood.com? Is that the best place? That's the place. Oh, they can connect with me on Instagram. Sarah, I'm at, at Sarah Seidelman, MD, or they can connect with me at Facebook. I'm there. I'm pretty active on all those things. And I have a YouTube channel as well. Lots of goodies there. So yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah Seidelman. You're so welcome, Diane. It's been a, just a blessing. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for tuning into the conversation today. One of the things that I really enjoy about doing radio shows and podcasts is that I get to hear a lot of people's different stories and experiences. So if you listen to this show over the past few years, you know, I try to bring people on to share that, share their experiences, something I can learn from. And I like to find out how someone coped with a certain situation or event and then see if I can get any information that can translate into my own life. So the book that I've been spending some time with that I think you'll be interested in too is Kathy Hagler's book, The Art of Scars. And she introduces us to the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is the art of putting broken pottery pieces together with gold. And I had never heard of this, so I had to go immediately online and do a Google search and see what they look like. And it's it's really cool. And it's also a metaphor for embracing your flaws and imperfections. And in the book, Kathy describes how taking this idea of our flaws and imperfections and transforming them into something else, something beautiful, and how it can work in organizations and businesses and also in our own lives as well. So Kathy joins me today to talk about this. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Diane. Well, I've been spending some time with your information in the book and kind of immersing myself into what Kintsugi is and how it can apply to businesses, organizations, and also our own lives. And I, I mean, I really see the, the correlation, you know, between this. So I just wanted to find out a little bit about your background. You could tell the listeners what's going on. Now you've got over 20 years of organizational development, helping businesses and organizations become stronger and more resilient, as well as helping people And you say in the book that everything breaks at some point, you know, organizations, people, everything, and that we're forced to recreate ourselves over time. And I'm curious what drew you to this kind of work originally? Well, Diane, it's uh, it's so great to be here today because, number one, your your program is called Be Present. And one of the things that I learned from my work with Kintsugi is about being present And so let me just tell you a brief story of how I got in this. And that is that when I was a little girl, I was ailing pretty young. I had spinal meningitis at two 
and I had cancer at six. And I felt really bad about the fact that I had scars. And I used to go to school and wear really long sleeves because I had scars all over my arms. And then finally, one day, it occurred to me that scars could be unique and they could be beautiful. And so I started wearing short sleeves and I decided that I would charge my little friends a quarter to see my scars. And so I decided to become an entrepreneur of, of my scars and my uniqueness. And, and what really drew me to this was the fact that I really began to understand that, that scars can make you stronger and more unique. And I'll tell you a really quick story that I've used with telling other cancer patients about my experience, and it's called the mule in the well. And so there's a, a farmer had a really old mule and he, he fell in a dry well and the farmer looked in there and he said, oh my goodness, George fell in the well and George was praying like this and he was just praying and he was so scared. And the farmer said, you know, it's not worth saving. George is broken. So I'm going to go get the neighbors and I'm going to push, put through in a whole bunch of dirt into the well and I'm going to bury the well and George. Well, George heard this and he was really, he didn't like this at all. So he stopped praying and he consciously began to think about what does this mean? And he became very present, very conscious. And he started taking the dirt, putting one foot on the dirt, then the other foot on the dirt. And he started stepping up, shaking it off and stepping up until he stepped out of the well. And so what I really learned was that I could be like George. What I could do was step up and shake it off. And about um, 15 years ago, my giant wound happened and my son was killed. He, um, he died in a car wreck shortly after 9-11. And follow, shortly following that, my cousin was murdered in Seattle in a gang in a gang situation following that shortly after that my husband died and shortly after that i got cancer so i started thinking about what is this about scars and what is this about wounds because as a young girl i could step up out of that well just like george so how could i step away from this giant wound i figured that i really needed something as a visual as a metaphor and i found kintsugi and I saw this pot online. It was this broken vase that had all these cracks in it, but they were filled with gold. I said, that's me. I'm all cracked up, but, but I've got gold. And so that's the visual. And I thought, this is perfect because not only do I see people that are broken, because I'm a psychologist also, but I'm an organizational person. I see all these organizations that are cracked and they're broken and they don't know what to do. So I began to learn to use Kintsugi. Uh, would you like me to tell you about my experience with Kintsugi? I was, I just wanted to kind of ask the, the question of resilience, because when I was reading in the book and you shared your story of all the things that you've gone through and what struck me was that you made the comment that where you were able to deal with these these horrible, challenging and, and tragic things that happen, your husband kind of retreated into himself and, and wasn't that resilient. 
I mean, and I've seen it with other people too, even in my own life where people that go through breakups or divorces or something like that, and where one person will be able to, like you said, shake it off like the mule in the well and, <laughs> and move forward. Where do you think that resilience comes from? And in, in your case, where the difference was you were able to handle the situation and things that came your way and where you described in the book that your, your husband after your son died just was, was unable. I do believe that. And I, one of the things that I've learned since then, Diane is just, I've learned a whole lot from Bruce Lipton's book um, and his, his work on the biology of belief. And I do believe inside us, is really our subconscious and our subconscious is made up of beliefs. It's made up of perceptions that we get when we were really young. And I believe because I was wounded when I was really young, I was able to take that subconscious belief and be been able to move that into my conscious mind and begin actually to then see that in as a present. I, I learned to be present and I learned to know it wasn't going to kill me. And I don't think my husband learned that. I think he felt that subconscious, that that pain subconsciously and that fear. And he couldn't he couldn't get out of it. He couldn't learn to go up into his conscious mind and be present with it. I think that's the difference is I've learned how to do that. And do you feel other people can learn that? Oh, I do. And I one of the one of the things that I found with Kintsuji is that I really did feel like I needed to learn how to do it because I wanted to learn how to teach people to do that. And so I hired a Kintsuji counselor and she took me through a process and I actually broke the vase. And so what I did is I sat there and I looked at the broken pieces and I said, oh no, I have to stop seeing them as broken pieces because it looked like they were all broken. And she said, don't look at them as broke look at them as pieces of a puzzle. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, they are pieces of a puzzle. So I learned to calm my fear about brokenness. And then from that, I courageously calmed my fear. And then I started talking to her and I said, you know, help me figure out how to put all this together so that I can be unique and different and not be scarred because that's what wabi-sabi is. The whole idea of the Japanese art of kintsuji comes from wabi-sabi which basically says you can be unique. It's beautiful to be imperfect. And so I talked to her and she helped me and I started gluing these pieces in together with gold. And I think I can use the metaphor of scars, which is stop the broken feelings, courageously calm the fears in your subconscious, which is what Bruce Lipton talks about in his book. And what I learned to do is take that subconsciousness and calm those fears and start then allowing other people, which is the A, to talk to me and help me learn to do it and then reinvent myself, but be present. That's where I think your program is so important, is that you have to come out of the subconscious and be present in your conscious mind. And you have to know that it's not about yesterday. It's about today. And it's about the consciousness of today and presence. And so what I'm doing is using the SCARS model now in organizations to teach them how to be resilient, just like I learned to be resilient. I think that's interesting. And, you know, I try uh, every day. One of the reasons I even named, wanted to name the show Be Present is that it's such a struggle for me every day to be in that moment 
and just deal with what's happening right now, like you and I are talking right now, and not worrying about what's going to be happening in the next hour or what's already passed that I can't change. So it's just, it's kind of a daily reminder. But I, I guess I just love the metaphor of the Kintsuji with the broken pieces creating something more beautiful and that we all have this ability to shift and change and do that. But like you mentioned, fear is the one thing that keeps us rooted and keeps us from growing and changing and transitioning. And I also think it's interesting too, the fear of perfection, because I think we're surrounded by this in the society today where we're, you know, on social media, we've got all of this in our faces, perfect bodies, you know, you too can look like, you know, you're 40 when you're 80 or whatever, you know, it's like, we're, we're afraid of aging and, and how our bodies change and all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm afraid I'll admit it, but I think there's a piece in getting to that place that you're trying to bring people to, to be comfortable with that. What I want to do is teach them to be, um, I want to teach them to calm their fears and be patient with themselves. I want to teach them that their subconscious as Bruce Lipton says, is 95% of their behaviors. And what they have to do is to learn to bring it into their conscious minds. When I read that it was 95% of our behaviors, that's really scary. So what we do is it's a, it's a knee jerk. It comes from all of our subconscious is about, I mean, we don't think when we comb our hair, we don't think when we brush our teeth, we just brush our teeth. We just comb our hair. We just drive the car. It's all subconscious. So what we have to do is to be consciously present. So what I tell people is to courageously, if you have an issue, bring it out and look at it and talk about it and hold on to it and, and realize it's fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. It's not real. So teach people to look at that fear, bring it into their consciousness and say, okay, this is good. What can I do about this? How can I be unique and beautiful? Even though I have this flaw, don't be afraid of it. And it's so wonderful because it, I believe that individuals and organizations are just alike. And organizations, everybody's worried about how are they going to deal with culture? Well, guess what culture is? Culture is just the mixture of a whole bunch of people that work there and all their subconscious. So we've got, if you've got an organization with a hundred people, you've got a hundred people subconscious running around defining their culture. So what you have to do is collaboratively bring them together, help them become resilient and not be afraid and bring them into the present. It's, it's a, such a beautiful metaphor because you can use the Kintsugi vase as the vision. This is what you can look like when you're healed. And of course, the, the subtitle. Right. It of, can be more beautiful. It can be more beautiful. The subtitle of my book is Healing the Culture, Climate, and Character, and Character of Organizations. And I want to heal people, but heal the culture with all those people in it so that the organization is even more beautiful than it was before. And I want to talk a little bit about that as far as organizations. And I think because it's so interesting, and I've certainly worked for organizations that have experienced great change, where there's people leaving left and right because they don't feel appreciated, they're not heard, 
there's people in management that shouldn't be in those positions and you feel powerless to really change that. And I've also heard the term a cancer in the building, you know, to describe either bad management or employees or that kind of thing. And one thing I noticed that was really beneficial is first people need to be heard and also appreciated. I mean, in the people that I worked with in the past, in my one experience in management, and I felt that if you thanked people and said, you did a great job, thank you for doing that. Even something that simple made a big difference and people felt appreciated. Do you, do you see that as a, a problem or an issue a lot of times when you're working in organizations that people just aren't appreciated and heard? I think people are afraid and they're afraid people aren't appreciated and heard because too many times they're afraid someone else is going to get ahead of them. Someone else is going to get the job. Someone else is going to get the promotion. Uh, Someone else is going to actually be noticed and they're not. So part of this is actually looking at people in the organization and say, there's, you know, three kinds of things in a culture. There's constructive behavior where people feel positive and available, but there's also what's called passive behavior where people are hiding in the weeds because they're scared to death. And then there's the aggressive people who say, I'm going to win, you know, I'm going to achieve and I'm going to compete against you. So what I've tried to do is find an instrument, which I found through Human Human Synergistics International, which actually is the only instrument in the world that actually quantitatively measures people's behavior. So what I've been doing is helping people look at the behaviors and say, what are the passive behaviors that we have? Is it that people aren't appreciated? Is that they're overlooked? Uh, is it that there is that the leadership is too competitive? Is that the people are not being treated correctly? What are the issues? And then when you know the issues, then what you can da- do is take those issues and say, you know, let's work on appreciation. <laughs> you know, let's work on being grateful. Let's work. Let's work with the clients on being grateful with them. But if you don't know what the problem is. And to me, that's kind of where we've had a problem with organizations because organizations don't understand culture. And I think my big breakthrough in my work over the last almost 30 years is that I get it. Culture is 95% of the behaviors. It's like it drives all of this with a knee-jerk reaction. So what you have to do is bring it into people's presence. You bring it into their consciousness and say, hey, we're just not appreciating each other. What if I just said to Diane, thank you very much for letting me be on this show. You know how much I appreciate it. And I think we don't do that very often because we think people should just realize they're appreciated. And so my task with organizations is to really begin to help them begin to be present and conscious and take those people that are afraid and hiding in the weeds and bring them out and take those people that are aggressive and taper tap them down a bit so that they can become more constructive and developmental with other people. But you've got to know what the problem is. And I think the work that I've done, and I think my big breakthrough is not only having a vision that that the being broken is making you more unique, but you have to admit it. You have to say, look at me. I'm filled with gold. And the reason I'm filled with gold is because I learned all of these things from my scars. And that's a really big, that's a really big issue. And once organizations say, this is perfect, 
because now I can tell you that I've been broken before and I'm, I've been broken, but now I'm unique and I'm, I'm even better than before. Right. And you've come out the other side a lot stronger. So you had mentioned uh, the acronym in the book for SCARS. And the first one I just wanted to talk to you about, because I think that's the most interesting one, stopping broken thoughts and feelings. And isn't that like telling a depressed person to just cheer up? Like, how, how does that work? You know, you can say, stop those broken thoughts, but is that really going to stop it? And so how do you address that? I'm so glad you asked. Stopping broken thoughts. I'm a yoga teacher. So I'm also a piano player and a yoga teacher, and I'm a Psych K facilitator. And in Psych K facilitation, learned that I learned from Bruce Lipton's work, is that you can actually use muscle testing. And you can also use kinesiology to help people identify their beliefs, bring their beliefs to the surface and say, look at this. You know, this is something that's really been standing in my way. Um, I noticed something the other day, for instance, I have a business partner and she had talked to some people and, and I thought, oh my goodness, she's talking to other people for other business and she's not including me. Well, I found I have this suspicious bone in my body. So I have a little broken bone of suspicion. So I muscle tested for it. I brought that bone up and I looked at it and say, you know, that's not right. So I got to stop that broken feeling, calm the fear that my business partner is going to run away from me. Her name's Kathy also. <laughs> stop the feeling that she's going to run away from me. And then I need to call her. So I called her and said, hey, Kathy, I know you're working with such and such. And she said, oh, you know, I haven't gotten, I hadn't gotten around to telling you about this. Isn't that great? And so everything, I made it up, you know, so what you have to do is you have to find a way, whether it's mindfulness through yoga or psych K through muscle testing and changing your beliefs, find a way to meditate, find a way to be silent, find a way to capture that broken feeling, bring it up to your consciousness and, and then talk about it, put it in words. My favorite part of learning about all of this in yoga was your thoughts turn into feelings. Your feelings can turn into words to other people. And then those words coming out of your mouth, can you hear them. And all of a sudden you become present and you can say, look at this. This is what I'm thinking. And this is a silly story I'm telling myself. So Using different techniques like meditation and yoga and muscle testing and psych K can stop those broken thoughts and feelings, bring them right up into your consciousness and be present, and then let you courageously explore them to become somebody unique and beautiful. No, I love that. That's so interesting. Um, taking the time to identify those thoughts and feelings and and becoming aware, I think, is is really the key because they've been buried for so long. A lot of times they're unconscious. Um, I recently had a, a situation myself where I discovered like a hidden fear, like you did with your business partner, about why mine was around why I have so much clutter and why I, I hold on to paper <laughs> and I save it. Yes. Like I have a fear, this is silly and irrational, that the men in black suits are going to come to my door and say, where's that receipt? You know, like the IRS. And I thought, where did that come from? That's so ridiculous. <laughs> Why am I holding on to all this papers? It's funny that I did, I never kind of dug to where is the fear of like my kind of hoarding tendency 
of yes. doing that. So I think yes. that it's so beneficial for, for people to look at those things. And then you do, you're right. You discover how silly it is. And when you bring it to the light, you know, now I'm like cleaning stuff out of my office and getting rid of all this paper. I don't need my tax returns right, from right. 10 years ago. And one of the things that's really key, I think, is it's called the footlights of consciousness. Once you feel that fear of any kind, once you think, oh, I got to have that paper or I'm, I'm, I'm getting suspicious or oh, what have I done here? Once you feel that footlight of consciousness, it's like the footlights coming on on a play. All of a sudden you see the stage. Bring that fear out and explore it. You know, take it apart and say, OK, the black men in helicopters aren't going to show up. I made that up. So there's a way to unpack those fears. And it sounds like you figured it out and I figured it out, too. So that's how you get around the brokenness. And it's interesting. Awareness, trying to overcome the fear, really facing it and then, you know, realizing that this this is not something that is real. So you're right. The fal false evidence appearing real. That's so true. Yes. Well, I really love your work and, and the book and what you're trying to do to help people. And how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about what you do? And, and even, well, if you want to find out about Kintsuji, you can definitely Google that and find out a lot about that. But how can they find out about you? They can go to kathyhagler.com. I have a website talking about the art of scars. I have lots of people talking about my work, both with individuals and with companies. And I'm really very excited. My book comes out in September and I'm very excited to have it out to the public. And I hope people will read it and learn that they can become beautiful like a Kasuji face filled with gold. Exactly. That's so wonderful. Yes, the book will be out, uh, should be uh, out this month as we yes. speak. Yes. So definitely check that out, The Art of Scars. And if you're curious about Kintsuji, look it up because I was fascinated when I started looking at what can be created. It really is beautiful. And I, I'd like to explore that a little bit more myself. I'm just curious. And it's Kathy, H-A-G-L-E-R, if people want to find you. And thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing this. It's so valuable. Thank you, Diane. And thank you for being present. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.